Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash US slash get QR code. Hey, this is Josh Carey. And this is Eric Cabral, and we are the founders of PodMax. So this episode you're about to jump into was recorded at a PodMax Propelify virtual event. And if you don't know who Propelify is, it's an amazing event that will take place digitally, virtually, from October 5th to the 9th. It's also their fifth annual event. Propelify historically has gathered over 8,000 people in Hoboken for a single day of talks, tech, pitches, drones, and more. This year, it's a five-day virtual experience, which will have investor speed dating, the Clean Tech Impact Challenge with a $50,000 prize awarded, and talks from guests like Al Roker, Andrew Yang, and New Jersey First Lady Tammy Murphy, and tons of networking opportunities. So without further ado, let's jump into this special episode with a guest from PodMax and a sponsor of Propelify. Enjoy. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing. Hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Welcome back to another episode of The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. As you can probably tell, I am not your host, Josh Carey. My name is Amber Furman, and I am guest hosting for Josh at this amazing PodMax Propelify event that we're doing today. And I'm super excited to have a conversation with our guest, Mike Galkin. Uh, Mike is a co-founder of Voice Next. He's a serial entrepreneur. He started his first company in his freshman dorm room, and he took that public. He has a vision and turned that vision into a reality. He has over 35 years experience in the telecommunication industry and was involved in the wireless industry from its inception in 1986. He's presently a leader in the voiceover IP industry with 15 years experience. Voice Next was a pioneer creating a business class cloud service for businesses. Using Voice Next cloud PBX, companies can use the power of internet to empower their voice communications. He was recognized as a finalist in the Ernst and Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award, as well as receiving an Inc. 500 Award. He's been with Voice Next since its inception in 2003. The company provides state-of-the-art telecom services to businesses using the power of the internet, has close to 1,000 businesses providing them with cloud-based communication services. As a leader in the industry, Voice Next was one of the first companies to add SMS to business contact centers. Voice Next strives to continue to deliver cutting-edge communication services to its clients. The company presently powers call and call 
contact centers for several church and Dwight brands, Trojan, Simply Saline, as well as Tribeca Film Festival and others. Let Voice Next show you a better way. I am super excited to get into this conversation. I know that from what I've been able to talk to Mike already, um, we are going to have an amazing time. So Mike, thanks so much for coming on the Hidden Entrepreneur Great. Show with me. Thank you very much. Great to see you. Great to be here. I am so excited to have you. So one of the questions that I always like to um, ask people, because I think it's such an interesting journey, is this idea of what we all thought we were going to be when we grew up. I think as entrepreneurs, we're always kind of surprised the way our life turns out. Did you have this vision when you were growing up of what you actually thought life was going to be like? Um, I grew up, I guess, you know, in a family of entrepreneurs. My dad is a dentist and my mom is a re in real estate. So you had, and she owned her own real estate agency. Um, so between all that, you know, you've always been, they've always worked for themselves and, uh, around the dinner table, my mother would always say, you know, if you, if you could do whatever you want to do, just two things, be the best at it and own the company. So if you want to be a garbage man, be the best garbage man you possibly ever be and own the garbage company too. So it doesn't matter. I love so, it. Um, with that mantra, I, I, I grew up, it was just a natural thing to, you know, never, you know, I don't think I've ever had a job. I had to, you know, I got a job at 16 at McDonald's and working at some fast food places until I was, uh, but I, I did start my first company in my freshman dorm room, uh, and worked from there and never really had a job ever, ever after that ever since. So. I love it. I love the entrepreneurial spirit that runs through, you know, your story as a child and being told like, you know, go out there and, and kind of, cause I feel like so many people are taught that you go get a job, you work for somebody, you retire. And so to have that other side of the coin is so amazing. How do you think that served you as you've worked through your career as an entrepreneur? Um, life's an adventure. I, I, and I always have fun what I do. If I don't like what I'm doing, I change it. So, you know, it's always, you never know, you never ever know where life's going to take you ever. So, uh, I love that. And I, I want to hit on that for a second. Life's an adventure. Um, if you're not having fun, change it. That's such a powerful statement. And it's a message that I know I try to get across a lot. I know Josh tries to get across a lot in his shows. Um, so many times we talk to people and they're just miserable in what they're doing, but they don't think they have any other options. And that breaks my heart. So I love hearing people say, you know, if you're not happy with what you're doing, change it around, do something different. Um, and, and be creative. And you know what? I, I've, I've, started a lot of things that didn't work and you've, you fail and you move on and you, you know, uh, and I've had some major failures too. Some big, huge failures that had to start over again. So it, uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's so important. Like, let's hit on that for just a minute, because I feel like one of the things that keeps people in hiding is the idea that they're too afraid to step out of their comfort zone because they think they're going to fail. And we see so many successful entrepreneurs and new entrepreneurs compare themselves to that success instead of realizing all the steps and failures that have gone into creating that success. So I love hearing you say that you failed so many times because I think it's important for new entrepreneurs to hear. Um, and it's okay to fail. It's just you have to make sure you don't ruin yourself and ruin the you know, ruin your life and ruin the company. You know, you can try things and, you know, you always, we always try to be not cutting edge, but one little half a step behind cutting edge. Cause that's where all the, that's where all the things happen. That's where growth can happen. That's where everything is, is, uh, works the best. Yeah, absolutely. So what led you into the telecommunications field? Was that something that you had gone to school for? Was it kind of an accidental stumbling upon something? Like what was it that led you there? 
so maybe I'll, I'll just let me let me tell you my let me tell you my story. How does that sound? <laughs> so, um, I go to co- I go to college. I went to a small college in upstate New York called Skidmore College, uh, small liberal arts college. Um, I'm a freshman there. I'm a biology major. Uh, my roommate's a business major. Um, it's 1981, and uh, it's very expensive to make phone calls. Back that was back when all the phone companies would go, and it was 31 cents a minute. And if you called after 11 o'clock, they had different times of the day, and it was all there's nothing. There was no free minutes at that point. Everything was very expensive. Um, my business major freshman year roommate um, owed me $300 for phone bill that he didn't have. So his father owned a bunch of mini warehouses and he came up with this crazy idea. He'd borrow a thousand dollars from his dad to uh, pay me back the 300. He'd take 300. We, we, we started a business, uh, a storage company for students uh, our freshman year uh, at college, which we did. Um, I kind of joke and say, we made every possible mistake you could possibly make. I'm 18 years old and um, there were buildings with elevators in them. And we, we decided we would go to the door and pick up and deliver back to your door, you know, pick up and, and deliver. But we didn't realize being dumb freshmen that um, when people are moving in and out of the dorms, you just don't have access to the, get to the elevator. So we literally hung, hauled everything up and down the stairs because oh. otherwise it wouldn't take it too long. That uh, sounds awful. Like that's everybody's moving nightmare. And we were part of that. And, and it was a miserable year for the first year. We also had the storage company was too far. The place where we were actually storing the things were, was too far away. Poor logistics. Um, we decided that we needed to take a twenty dollars deposit from people to to book with us, and nobody, everyone's broke at the end of the year, so no one had money. We didn't realize that the parents. When you said the parents bill, they always paid. <laughs> so with all these things going on, it's surprising the business even made it after one year. But uh, it made it the first year. We fixed every mistake in year two, and we tripled business um, by changing deliver to your door to deliver to your dorm. So instead of going to the door, we were always late to people because we could never. But now we'll say, we'll be at your dorm at 11 in the morning at three in the afternoon. You have all your stuff down to the ground. We'll pick it up. Um, instead of going 21 miles away to a storage place, we found a place a mile and a half from campus. Um, we had a couple of little vans. We fill the van up, bring it back. And um, as many times as we would need to fill it, we'd go and we'd then go to the next building and start that. So um, things worked out well. Uh, after four years, I sold the business to the college. Um, so I got a check when I left college for in $2,020, probably about... $55,000, dollars um, I sophomore year started a second business washing windows on a horror place called Nantucket. Um, it's an island off Massachusetts, off Cape Cod. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. I am actually, yeah. Um, it was great. We uh, One spring break my sophomore year, instead of going to, my friends all went to Florida and had a great tons of fun. I went to 41 degree Nantucket, talked to a bunch of property managers, lined up a whole summer's worth of business washing windows for, for all their clients. Um, rented a house for the summer. Um, we brought all of our friends who worked for us. It was, uh, we got them housing and rent. They paid, it was like, where they all worked for the company store. So, you know, we would uh, house them and feed them and then go out and have fun <laughs> and party with them. And uh, the next morning we have to bring them, wake them up so they go work for us, you know. Um, I love it. One thing led to another. My father said, you can't, uh, so this, I've already said, I've owned the company. I've, I've, I was, you know, probably the best at window washing. I met some great people washing windows. I, I wash windows for uh, um, Peter Benchley, the guy who wrote Jaws, and his parents, Nathaniel Benchley and his mom, Peter Benchley's mom. Um, I washed windows for Mr. Rogers' house. Um, wow. Um, so get to meet some great people. You know, Nathaniel's kind of a quirky place for that. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's crazy. 
Um, after I graduate college, my dad, who's a dentist, said, you can't wash windows and store things the rest of your life. And I said, but why not? I made a ton of money. I bought a house, <laughs> I bought a house when I was in college. So, you know, I was now a homeowner at, at, at 20 years old. Um, not a very typical college career at all. I, I never had, you know, want for any money. You know, we, we made a lot of money at college. Um, That's so, so backwards. So, and I already got my MBA because I made every business possible mistake you possibly make. So now I'm, exper- <laughs> I'm an experienced entrepreneur now. Um, having bootstrapped everything, we've never raised a penny from anybody. Um, and that's tr- true to this day, basically. Um, the, my dad convinces me that uh, I was a biology, I wasn't even a business major in college. I was a biology major. <laughs> Actually double major biology and philosophy. Um, Which, I mean, the philosophy side is, is super important in business. <laughs> It, it, it is. And actually, uh, Skidmore's mantra is creative thought matters. And they teach you how to think and how to be creative. And I've always been creative. And my, my creativity is in the business world. I can create businesses. That's what I'm, I'm not. I can't paint. I can't draw. I'm not very artsy. But uh, I'm decent about bootstrapping a company and, and, uh, and, uh, and using my own money to reinvest it and, and grow it. I love it. Um, I love it. I have a, a falling off for my entrepreneurial abilities. And I, my dad says I should become a dentist like him. And uh, I actually thought about it because I was thinking pre-med or pre-dental. And uh, I applied to a bunch of dental schools and get into the mall and spend a year at University of Pennsylvania. Um, right school, wrong program. I should have been at uh, UPenn for, they have a halfway decent business school from what I've heard. But um, I was at the dental school, uh, hated it. I dropped out of dental school basically to go wash windows in Nantucket again. <laughs> what, parents, what was your dad thinking about that? I, he, my, both my parents were not very happy with me at that point. <laughs> I, I had a plan. I, I just didn't know it at the time. I had a path that I was starting. Um, and uh, one thing led to another. I spent the whole summer back on Nantucket having a great summer washing windows. The summer ends. All my friends go back to school, professional program. Um, I go back and um, I, had a, I had a house. I bought a house in Philadelphia because I was planning to stay there. So I owned a a house in Philadelphia that I was sell- in the process of selling. I moved back in with my parents for a month, a couple of months. I sold that house and actually bought another house in New Jersey. So um, between that time, I'm at my parents' house washing windows, having left dental school, and right in, every day being in front of them. It wasn't a very <laughs> conductive situation for being an entrepreneur. But like I said, I had a plan, and I have very thick skin, so I could take my parents. I start washing windows in New Jersey, and about five or six weeks after washing windows, somebody approaches me and uh they're pressure washing a house down the block and having never pressure washed a house um we i get into the pressure washing business um because i realized that the hourly rate for pressure washing is three times that or four times that of, of window washing so um it wasn't worth window washing in new jersey yeah it <laughs> was a different thing but um pressure so we, we i started a pressure washing company uh we've come reason successful that we um our niche was between the 50 and quarter million dollar job too big for people kind of working out of their house, even though I was working out of a house at the time, uh, too small for the bigger companies that do sandblasting of the bridges and tunnels and that. So we did a lot of eight up to eight story buildings in Hoboken, Jersey city and Brooklyn. Uh, we would acid wash the building and they'd make the bricks look brand new when we were done. Uh, we worked for a lot of corporate jobs. We worked for uh, Amarada Hess corporation. They had a big oil spill in Perth Amway. We worked there for over a year, six days a week. With two, with with eight people and a, and a crew cleaning wow. up. Wow! Um, and during that time, um, we also needed a place to store all of our stuff. So when we finally got a building in in North Edison, um, New Jersey, uh, my mom bought a building as a realtor. She thought she thought she'd have a use for it. I go, you know, 
it had a garage door in the back and a garage door in the front. It looked like a car wash to me. So <laughs> uh, in 1987, uh, I started washing cars as a place called Palm Springs. Of course Auto you did. Of course you did. So, what, I'm, what I'm hearing throughout your story is like seizing opportunities. Like I'm just hearing seizing opportunities all along the way because you've literally done everything. A lot of things. And, and I never, <laughs> and I never say no, like I, having never ever waxed my car ever again, I'm now a professional was- car waxer. Yes. I, for years, I've kept that a big secret. Matter of fact, it was so much of a secret, we named the company Palm Springs Auto Resort to make it sound like we knew what we were doing. <laughs> yes, I've, I love I, that. I've never been to Palm Springs in my entire life. I love um, it that. Was, it was a, when we were looking for names and something, the, the name for that company was such that we, um, we wanted a name that, that sounded like a franchise, sounded like we knew what we were doing. Um, had a palm tree on it, you know, send your car on one day vacation was the, was the logo. I love it. You know what I love the most about that is I tell people all the time, they ask me, you know, what do you wish that new entrepreneurs would have known? And my answer is that, or, or they ask me like, what, what do you wish you knew when you started? And my answer is that nobody knows what the hell they're doing. That's what I wish they knew. And so no, when you I, say that, like right. we named our, our, our um, company this so that people thought we knew what we were doing like that just rings home to me because nobody knows what they're doing we just no, figure it no, out not, not at all matter of fact the first company was called tri-city storage um <laughs> you know, Sar- saratoga was north of the tri-city areas uh, albany's connecting detroit new york it sounded like a hundred-year-old company we were two freshman students we didn't want people to even know that we owned it we were we built ourselves as a student reps for the company yeah, well, I mean, who wants to like who wants to hire college students, right? Like, you were right, obviously yeah. great at what you did. However, sometimes you know you have to put on that public-facing image for the purposes of showing that you're the right person for the job, um, because perception is everything. Totally, and and so going to perception to this day, I still don't have my title on my business card ever. Love I've it. never put it on my business card because. You never know. I wear way too many hats. And sometimes I don't want people to know I'm the company. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I need to be the salesperson. Sometimes I need to be support. So it, by not having a title, I can be a founder. I can be a CEO. I can be just a salesperson. Um, you know, before it was because I was too young. Maybe now, you know, uh, I read a book called, by Jay Conrad Levinson called Guerrilla Marketing, which is a great book. And one of the things he says is, um, you should give out titles like water because they're worthless. So just give them out there. Everyone should have a title. Let's talk about that for just a second, because I know that there's so many people out there that come from this place of integrity and authenticity and transparency. And um, I know there's somebody listening to this that's thinking, what do you mean you don't put your title on? Like you worked so hard for that title. So can you talk a little bit about how important it is to show up from a place of um, value and transparency and honesty, and at the same time, showing up as the person that that client needs you to be, um, which is what I'm hearing when you say that you don't put your title on your card. Well, if you don't have your title on your card, there's no preconceived conception. So you, you, it, it actually, in my opinion, it's better not to, you know, I don't need to boost my ego to say that I'm the CEO of the company. You know, I, I, I'm the guy who also takes out the garbage sometimes too. <laughs> well, and that is, that statement right there is true leadership. Like we talk so much about leadership in so many entrepreneurial spaces and people say, you know, how do you create this culture of leadership? And the honest answer is sometimes I run the company and sometimes I take out the garbage. And that's 100% true. Um, if you've ever noticed, uh, if you look at, 
uh, wolves, wolf packs. There's some wolf packs who the leader, the alpha male, go at least from the front, but the more successful packs, the alpha male is actually leading from the back. Yep. He's the one who makes sure that there's no stragglers and, and he's got some you know, people in the front, some wolves in the front to, to take care of the scouting and the middle is where everyone is and the back people make sure that even they're, they're all dragged along and it, you're guaranteeing, ensuring that the whole pack is successful, not just your alpha males and you know, you're leaving people behind. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, you talked about um, having creativity in the business world, which I think comes in so much to this leadership idea of being able to relate to so many different types of people and have them be felt valued and as part of a team. Um, But the other thing you said that I want to hit on before we move on with the rest of your story, because I loved it so much, was you said, I had a plan. I just didn't know it at the time. And I think this is so important for people to hear. Um, I've, I've heard this running through your story. You talked about dropping the ego when you take your business card off of things. Like you don't need that on there. I think ego is such a big part of what holds people back, but also not listening to your intuition. And so for you, like you may not have known the end game at the time, but you knew that you trusted yourself enough to listen to what you were doing to get yourself there. That. 100% correct. And, and now, now the fun part comes because now those are all basic businesses that were easy. Um, so it's 1987. Um, we're washing cars. We're washing buildings. Um, uh, the other company is called Apex Restoration. So we're, we're doing both of those out of the same property, same location. Um, and eight or nine or 10 weeks after we start washing cars, one of our clients come in, um, a, a doctor from a local hospital, and asks me about this thing called a cellular phone. Never had a. This was you know, eighty-seven. You said eighty-seven. They were th- twenty-eight hundred dollars. They didn't work well. They were, um, <laughs> you know, no one was doing them. So um, I make a couple phone calls that morning, um, and by the time he comes back, I'd already approached a company called Cellular One, and we became their eighth agent in New Jersey. Um, and now I'm in the cellular phone business. That's amazing. And and again, seizing opportunities and adapting and adjusting, and you know. One of the biggest mistakes I think entrepreneurs, both new and old, make is they say, here's my product, who can I sell it to? Instead of saying, here's a need, how do I fill it? Right. So we, I, I, I got into my first business because of the phone, because of a, an old, a $300 phone bill. I get into a third phone business because somebody asked me about it and I was intrigued enough to know nobody was selling them. I go, this, I thought cellular phones would have a huge future. Um, at the time, AT&T could have owned the entire cellular market. They were offered it in the divestiture. They said, we don't see having more than a million phones. In, in two, by the year 2000, we don't see more than a million people having a cellular phone. <laughs> they were a little wrong on that one. Um, and yes. they could have owned the market. They, could, they were literally offered the entire market. They were offered the entire cellular market, but they turned it down. And then there were two companies. There was always a, the Verizon company, the, the local phone company, and there was always the other company. I always worked for the other company. Hey there, entrepreneurs. Eric Cabral here, founder of On Air Brands and host of the Entrepreneur Circle and Capital Hacking. I wanted to share something truly unique with you that we've created called Pod Max, which is an amazing opportunity to connect you with major podcasts to help you share your fascinating stories with their communities. This unique invitation-only event includes interviews with you on top-rated business podcasts all in one day. It also provides a unique networking opportunity with high-performance guests and thought leaders who are authors, coaches and consultants, investors, speakers, executives, 
you name it. These are the type of people that you need to be around. We also provide industry expert keynotes to hit our stage to share insights on podcasting, investing, marketing to help you take things to the next level. And the cool thing about Podmax is that it has a multimedia agency engine behind it with on-air brands to provide social media promotions before and after the event to share your brand new shows with your network. So hit the apply now button at podmax.co and I hope to see you at the next Podmax event. You know, your your parents at the time, they really were wanting you to find this career. Did they see this cell phone business as just another window washing in disguise or were they supportive of that move? What was their their position um, on that? Yeah, by then I was I was established. You know, I was I was I, I, I never really, you know, had support financial support for my, I was only able to financially support myself. So I guess they were kind of happy, you know, uh, um, some of my friends were making a little more money than I was. And we were throwing a lot of money back into the business at the time, you know, as you have to do, you know, if you don't raise money and you're bootstrapping, you know, you're, you're constantly reinvesting back into things, especially we're starting, we're trying to do new and different things too. So, yeah. Um, so how many people, um, and, and not necessarily a number, just an idea, told you that the cell phone thing was an awful idea? Um, were people on board with it? Or you mentioned AT&T saying this is never going to fly, you know, wide span. Um, did people think you were nuts for getting into it? Um, frankly, I never asked. I already knew. I, I knew in my Love heart that, that, that cell phone. So I, I never looked at it, you know, um, we the very first year we were their, their agent of the year we sold more phones than anyone else um we had a lot of creative marketing uh to do it uh we won that um by winning a huge uh a huge benefit um back they were four or five bag phones were very expensive back then and we decided they everyone had a contest and they were paying a lot of extra money for the number one person who sold the most so we made a deal with law enforcement instead of paying four hundred dollars it was 399 for a bag phone we gave the police any police who wanted with a badge of free bag phone. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Um, not having the financing to do it, those phones were close to seven or $800 a piece. And I didn't have the, we didn't have the financial wherewithal to do it. So instead of buying it, they agreed to get their first bill and pay that bill and let me get paid commission on it. And I was using that commission money to buy all the phones. Wow. So they had a, a fake account until they came in a month later so it cost them 40 it was 40 dollars a month back then for the service and 60 cents a minute but they all agreed to that uh we and one place one one town tells another town and another town and you just come on in we'll fill the paperwork we were our fax machine was overflowing with 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 applications you know we did you know close to 900 you know cell phones which back in the day was a huge amount back in you know in a yeah. month um I never got a ticket after that. All the police all knew us. So, of course, you know, of we course. Were, we were their, you know, best friends and everything else. So I, I could, once again, get away with murder if I wanted. You know, the the innovation in what you talk about is just amazing to me. The the forward thinking and um, willingness to think outside the box to be able to get something accomplished um, is is so amazing. And I hear that run through so much of your different businesses and your story. And I just I think that that's such a fantastic lesson. Um, plus, I'm pretty competitive too. Once, sir, when uh, it only this, the math only worked if we won that. If we won the tour, if we won that contest, because it was an extra hundred dollars. We needed that hundred dollars to to make all the math work. We didn't make a lot of money up front on it, but we got paid a back end residual and everything. So the, the residual made it pay for itself too. So 
Yeah. Somewhere out there, there is a entrepreneur listening to this that's just getting started that says, wait a minute, you're telling me that I could have had a cell phone bill for $40 a month at one point in time? <laughs> like, that just no doesn't da- no exist data, anymore. Just, just, no data, just voice. Just voice no only. Data. Was, and, you and didn't no, even need no, data. Your phone flipped up. <laughs> no, no, no. These were even before that. These were back phones and installed phones. They weren't even, it was pre, these were all, this was all pre- pre-flip phone. Oh my gosh, that's insane. So you obviously enjoy the telecommunication industry because you have just continued through that and excelled. Um, I would assume, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, that your venture into voice over IP situations was very similar. There was a need and you filled it. How did that exchange happen? Well, I got a little ways to go. Let me, let me, let me go on with the story. So Sounds we, also, good. we also signed up with another company that uh, was called Nationwide Cellular. Um, they were ultimately bought by MCI, and MCI was ultimately bought by WorldCom. So um, having a retail store after about 12 years from 86, 87, 80, you know, right on to about 1998, um, I just had burned out of retail. It was six days a week, a grind. Um, so I sold the retail business, and I took my one contract, which was with WorldCom Wireless at the time, and became a master agent for them. Um, and the way I became a master agent was I had a contract because it was so old. I also signed that contract in 1986. They were contracted to pay me a little bit more than they were paying most everyone else. Um, and what I did was I started calling myself a master agent. I called myself a master agent so many times that WorldCom started calling us a master agent. A self-fulfilling prophecy. Wow. So we were their largest or second largest master agent in the U.S. for them ultimately. Um, and one thing led to another. And uh, I got involved in e-commerce. Um, my first day in e-commerce, we did over a million dollars worth of business. Um, um, WorldCom had a, an application system that was manual, and they web-enabled that application system. One of the first people to get an online approval process going, and I made it all work, uh, the back end. Um, one of our partners was, had like 48,000 applications in the queue that he was having people type manually. Old ladies were typing them manually. You could do maybe 30, or 30 to 50 a day you know, cause you had to type in names, addresses, social security numbers, get the approvals. Um, we automated that process. And the first day we did 44,000 applications and got about 900 people approved. So, wow. um, it was 841, I think it was. Um, and I was in, now involved in e-commerce having never, you know, we were doing mostly mom and pop cellular phone shops at the time we did New York, we did Chicago, we did, uh, Baltimore, Maryland, we're big markets, a little bit of Boston. Um, and we were, would, would basically take the applications and pay these independent agents, you know, a commission every month to sell and we'd manage it and, and, uh, and get the approval process done. Um, love it. One thing led to another, we had partners, uh, and, uh, in 2002, um, we sold about 187,000 cellular phones for WorldCom, um, through our partners and through our, 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 our e-commerce, uh, so ability. just a little contract, just a little one. Right. So <laughs> I took, I took basically that contract I signed in 86 when I was selling phones, you know, one, one, one ups to, uh, um, that year we made the Inc 500. We were, this was before the Inc 5000. We were number 126. Was it, uh, yeah, 126 Inc 500. I keep forgetting. It was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, I was also a finalist in the Ernst and Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Um, and at the same time, uh, it was, uh, uh, I took the company public. So we never raised any money. We bootstrapped our way. Uh, we were about, about 12 or $14 million uh, the year before. And the year we went public, we were doing a, a run rate of about $50 million a year. 
Wow. That's grew insane. that company in three or four years. We grew from a little bit, you know, Inc. 500 is high growing companies. I think we we're 1,900% over three years. Wow. Um, so you, we go public what, October okay. 1st, 2001. Um, it's 20 days after September 11th, and I, I had some money lined up. Um, we didn't raise any money. We did a reverse merger. I, I don't know if you're familiar with that kind of, mm -hmm. those kinds of things. We took a public company, we a shell, and we became public, and they became private. Um, September 11th happened 20 days before, so the money went away. So now I'm a public company. We were looking to do a, a secondary offering that was all ready to go that the money went away. The money got scared after September 11th. So without raising any money, it's still my – basically, I, I didn't have any dilution. I still owned about 65% of the company. Um, so it was my public company at the time. Um, when the money fell apart, we moved on because we were – September 11th was even better because if you didn't have a cellular phone – Everybody got a phone. Their kids yeah. got phones. So we had a great year. That's, that's one of the other reasons why we sold so many phones that year because it was the biggest year for cellular growth ever. It was a huge amount. Everybody wanted to talk to everybody and you needed to have a phone that year. Mm -hmm. And then about seven or eight months later, um, my first huge disaster happens. Um, in about six weeks, WorldCom goes from a Fortune 50 company to bankrupt in the largest accounting scandal at the time. It took down Arthur Anderson. Um, so... When WorldCom goes bankrupt, uh, I have 55 people working for me. We have, uh, we're doing thousands of applications a month. Um, they owe me about $4.5 million that they don't oh. ultimately pay me. Um, having never raised a penny, we didn't, I didn't have a war chest of money in, in our till. Um, and it, for, it forced me. I had to file bankruptcy. I lost every – like I said, I, I'm 40 years old, and I lost every penny that I ever made at that point um, through the wow. WorldCom bankruptcy. Um, the – Fallout from WorldCom was huge. I, you know, I don't know if you if you remember WorldCom, but they were huge, huge, huge telecom company. Mm -hmm. um, it was before Enron. Even um, mm -hmm. they basically just cooked the books. They basically just made up numbers um, and got caught doing it. That's insane. And you know, this is an interesting conversation as well for you know all the people out there who stay in a particular position because of the security that goes along with it and is just the the highlight of like you never really know what's going on behind the scenes and like that that false sense of security for working for somebody else is just that it's that false sense of security and you were in a position where you were doing great it seemed like all the business ventures you had were being successful and you had created this blueprint to recreate success in things that you had done. And through something that you had no control over, everything came crashing down. All within the, like weeks. It was three, like three weeks. I went from top of the world to, to, to nothing. Wow. So how did you recover from that? What was your next step? Um, I cried and, and stayed in bed for, for about a month. It was, it was really, it was just, I mean, you know, you have, it's like having a child die. You know, you go through all the stages of grief, you know, why me? And what if, can't we do, you know, why can't it go, you know, keep it alive longer? It was really, it was, it was very personal. Um, yeah. And, and, and my laughter is knowing laughter. Mm. So, um, but you're right. I love that you mentioned grief because so many people don't take, the time to think about the fact that they are actually grieving the loss of a company or the loss of a right. job or the loss of a friendship or whatever that might be. Um, because it is very similar to losing somebody that you love. Yes. Um, so quickly we went to, um, uh, uh, I, I was involved with a bunch of guys in New Jersey called YEO, Young Entrepreneur Organization. Um, and the founder of YEO, it's now called EO, but uh, was Vern Harnish. Vern came to speak to us in New Jersey about a book he wrote called The Rockefeller Principles, which he wrote a 
a new book after that called Scaling Up. They're great books. And if you really want a great book, read Scaling Up. It's a great book. The first 10 pages, I can't tell you, I've reread it 30 times. It's so, those 10 pages are so powerful. I'll have to check it out. Um, so Vern spoke to us um, and um, Vern said, base, uh, part of the deal was uh, we had to buy his book, his Rockefeller Principles book. He wanted to be the number one bestseller on Amazon that day. So on the same day, all 55 or 60 of us in New Jersey all bought 40 copies of his book. He sold thousands of copies that day and was the number one bestseller. So he could say he had a number one bestseller on Amazon. Oh, wow. That's how we paid him to, to come talk to us. But after part of the deal was we had to take him to a scotch tasting event in New York City. And my friend said, you need to drink having just lost every penny and everything you've got. You need to drink <laughs> more than anyone else. So uh, we want you to volunteer to take Vern into the city, 25, 30 minute drive uh, to this event and go to the event too and get drunk. That's awesome. Um, I mean, not, not bad advice um, for a couple right. of days. Um, so Vern changed my life in that. So that ride was supposed to be a half hour. It was about an hour and a half because of traffic and an accident. Um, and Vern does a typical question, you know, so tell me about yourself, you know? And I go, well, Six years ago, I was on top of the world, and now I'm pretty much broke and lost every penny I've ever made. Uh, and he sat down and thought about it for about a minute. Or, eh, like, it seemed like a long time. And came back and said, so in 10 years, when you look back on your life, do you, want to say the, the, do you want to say to yourself, I was the person doing this, and I was the person doing that, or I am the person doing this, and the, I am the person doing that. And I felt the, at that point, I felt the weight just come off of my shoulders. I didn't know what I was going to do at the time, but I knew, you know, if I'm going to cry and be upset the rest of my life, I wasn't ever going to get anywhere. You know, it's time to, to get back up and, uh, you know, you get back on the horse, you get back in the car. If you have a car crash, you, you, you move on. Yeah. Um, and so I started thinking about, you know, well, what's going to be the next big thing? And um, I thought it was going to be VoIP. I, I thought that VoIP was going to be a, a, a change of technology, which it is. I thought it is, absolutely. I thought it was going to go residential was going to go away. You wouldn't need with a cell phone. Having been my cell phone experience that you don't need a home phone anymore. So I didn't go into the residential. So we went into the business side of everything. Um, and we, we it was very expensive at the time. It didn't work very well. And we were like some pioneers in the industry. Like I was pioneers in the cell phone industry. We got a very small sliver of a, of a server that we part, were part owners of. Um, and we started selling our product with, you know, I'm going to compete with Verizon and Comcast and all these other companies. Um, you know, I'm never, I'm never afraid to compete with those companies. Do you know why? Why? They're horrible. They're, yeah. they're, you know, everyone hates the phone company. So our mantra was we've got the best support, customer support out there. And it's backed up by my commitment and, and endeavor to make it, you know, I'm upset if, we, if it's more than 30 seconds to answer a call. You know, we've done something wrong. Yeah, which is so powerful, that that can, um, customer service part of things. Really quickly, how did you handle, because people in general, and I feel like business owners especially, are not real, um, per, real receptive of change. So when you come to them and say, sure. you know, you're not going to need a home phone, you're right. um, not actually going to need a phone line at all. We're just going to connect to this internet that you're just kind of figuring out how to use anyways. Um, and we're just going to make this all work with equipment that you can't see. Like, how did you take that into something they could comprehend and then actually buy? So one of the things that you're right, and people hate change. I mean, I, I'm probably no different than anyone else. So I'm in the business of change. We basically rip everything out and start <laughs> again, you know, the next day. So, um, we decided years ago that what we would do is um, a lot of our competitors charge 
to go on site and do installations. Um, at first, so we decided um, we would market all over the country and get as many customers. And then I said, you know, let's scale back during the 2008. We started in 2004, 2000, and by 2008, the economy fell apart. So we decided instead of marketing across the country, we'd just stay in our own backyard, just play to our strengths. And our strength is that we can go out on site and go and set it up for free and train you and make sure everyone's happy and spend a day there because what else are we, you know, we don't have too many customers. So why not spend a day at the customers make them happy, set them all up, help them set up their voicemail, help them set up everything they need to do. And there's a face behind the company. Um, so I told people we're the least hated phone company in New Jersey and New York because we've done all this. We've made a personal connection with not only the decision makers, but all the employees too. Yeah. Um, so let's just hit on that for, you know, a second and, and we're getting close to wrapping up, yep. but, um, it's just proof that the saying that people don't buy what you do, they buy who you are, is so important. Because when you can make that personal connection with them, I mean, we're going back. So people may know what voice over IP is now, but you're talking, you know, mid, early 2000s. Like, yes. nobody knew what it was back then. And, and so you're taking something that nobody knows. You're basically selling them air and asking right. them to trust you. Mm-hmm. And they do because of who you are, not because of what you sell. Yes, and, 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 I, I, and we're always personal. And you know, listen, we always backed it up with the, great, the best customer service. You know, we, we literally always answer the phone at three o'clock in the morning, you get a live person at you know, nine o'clock in the morning, you get a live person. And you know, our staff, uh, we have super low turnover. You know, most of our staff has been with us for multiple, you know, multiple, multiple years. You know, I count on, since we started the business, four or five people have actually left the company. We've grown a little bit and we, and you know, our, uh, some of our places actually left and come back. You know. Love it. Well, let me ask you this as we start to wrap up. First of all, if people want to connect with you, if they want to hear more mm-hmm. about your story, if they're interested in what you're doing, um, where can they reach out to you? What's the best way for them to find you? Just um, go to my LinkedIn on, uh, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, just look up Mike Galkin, um, Voice Next. You know, go to our Voice Next page on there. Um, uh, I'm on pretty much all the social media stuff, um, you know, looking to help people, you know, plus we give a lot back. So I, I've, I've gotten to the point in my life now where we, we love not-for-profits. So if you're not-for-profit, definitely contact me. We love to help not-for-profits. We have our Voice Next Cares website. You go on Voice Next Cares and we've got a one-page application for a grant that we give. I love staff. it. I love it. Um, and then, you know, lastly, I mentioned before kind of this blueprint to success. You know, you have had your ups and downs for sure. However, you've been able to make a successful business in so many different industries and so many different ways. And then after losing everything, you were able to come back and make um, yourself back into this successful business. What do you think is that underlying theme in that blueprint? What would be one thing that you wish people would take with them that you feel like is maybe your recipe to success? It's just hard work. At the end of the day, you've got to work hard at it. And, you know, um, you've just got to make your, find your niche. Our niche was, you know, find, you know, we decided, we started a phone company based on the fact that the phone companies suck at customer service. I mean, the making the calls is the easy part. I can make calls just as well as Verizon and Comcast. Those, the, the calling, the technology, we have the same technology that they have. We wrap it in much better customer support. So find your niche. We're not trying to be the every, the be all to everything. So we've won great deals. We've got Tribeca Film Festival as a client. We've got um, St. Patrick Cathedral as a client. We do, very high touch call centers where we, you know, we, we help our customers. We just signed uh, up a call center today. I matter of fact, they went live a 150 year old company that uh, sells Australian shoes. Wow. 
Yeah, I, I think that that's super powerful. And, and one of the most powerful things about it for me is when you say find your niche, I listen to you talk about voice over IP. I listen to you talk about phones. I listen to you talk about um, what you do with your company. And to me, your niche is connection. And I want people to notice that, that, you know, you may sell phones, you may sell phone lines, you may sell voice over IP, but what you really sell is connection and people need to understand what their niche is above and beyond what they sell. Great. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Again, this is Josh Carey's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I appreciate him letting me kind of hijack it. And I've enjoyed our conversations today. And really think there's some valuable information that came out. So thanks for spending some time with us. Great. Thank you very much. I have to go back into hiding now because it's a hidden entrepreneur, right? It's the hidden entrepreneur. No, don't go back. We're supposed to keep you out of hiding. No problem. (laughs) All right. We will will talk to you soon, but it was amazing to connect. Thanks again for coming on. Great. Thanks, Amber. Had a great time. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.